We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible Podcast, a special Friday edition brought to you by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden in partnership with Broadway Sports Media and 440 Sports. I am Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello, and we are recapping Thursday Night Football as the Titans get a big win over the struggling Green Bay Packers. Justin, how's it going? Doing well. Excited to be here with you to recap this victory. Probably my favorite victory of the season, in my opinion. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it to potentially be that. First of all, just the setting of this game. I know the snow was kind of like on and off. It wasn't snowing the whole time. But when the game started and you got Derrick Henry like lining up in the backfield and they go close up on his face with the black visor, he just looked like a robot ready to destroy with the snow flurries coming in his face. It gets me excited for D. Henber. I just love a good snow game. And, and this was a good one. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, look, there's something special about playing at Lambeau Field, in all honesty. There just is, right? Oh, yeah. You don't got to be a Packers fan to think that. It's, there is something special about playing at Lambeau Field, and it adds to it when you get that cold, weathery, little snow, at least flurries, you know, not too much snow, but the flurries add for a great photo opportunities. I saw, like, Dylan Radins posted a great photo on his Instagram that they captured. So even the players, I, I think, enjoy it. And then that just gets elevated when it's on primetime, right? Like, playing in Green right. Bay is special. It's extra special when it's in the cold it's in the snow and it happens to be nationally televised right and and a primetime game where you get all the coverage and just the night feel atmosphere it just feels so fun and this was another reason to love this game is because it was the titans best offensive performance of the season ryan Tannehill throws for 333 yards didn't even know it was possible for a titans passer to throw for 300 yards never happens um the receivers stepped up uh t- Derrick Henry had a good game overall. He was, you know, I mean, his yards per carry, his effectiveness on the ground, not necessarily what we've come to expect, but he contributed as a passer, as a receiver, and as a runner. And even though he only averaged 3.1 yards per carry on 28 attempts for 87 yards, they all felt like, you know, it was like third and two or second and two, and he gets the first down. He only picks up two or three yards, but he's moving the chains and staying ahead of schedule. There weren't any of those negative runs that set up like second and 14 or anything. So even though it wasn't his best game, his longest run was only nine yards. It was effective for this game and especially for setting up the pass with Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I I think if anything, it's, it's so encouraging to see the Titans win and play a good game offensively. Without having Derrick Henry having his you know typical 150 yard, 120 yard rushing output, right? Not averaging four and a half, five yards a carry. This is the game they've lost in the past, especially in the playoffs when opposing defenses shut down Derrick Henry, right? When when the when he's not you know doesn't have a very good game against the Bengals, doesn't have a very good game against the Ravens or, or the Chiefs in, in years past in the playoffs. So. It was so encouraging to see them throw the football um, the way that they did. And you you joke, but I agree. Like, that vertical passing game was unrecognizable, right? Like, Tannehill finishes 22 of 27 
for 333 yards. More completed more than 80% of his passes. It was a season high 12.3 yards per attempt. How many explosive passing plays did they, did they create? I think it was at least five. I'll tell you right? this By right now. By definition of, of 20 yards. Paul Kaharski tweeted it this morning, and he wrote a whole article about how the Titans won a different way in Green Bay. Ryan Tannehill hit passes of 31 yards to Chigaquanko on an incredible diving attempt that he was able to get his elbows down inbounds, control the ball, great play. A 32-yarder to Robert Woods, the 42-yard catch-and-run screen to Derrick Henry, the first play, uh, the first pass of the game that was deep, 43 yards to Traylon Burks. I guess second pass because the first pass was incomplete. Whatever, the first big pass of the game to Traylon Burks for 43 yards, and then. <laughs> And at the very end of the game, the dagger, the the FU middle finger to Matt LaFleur, a 51-yarder to Traylon Burks. And, I mean, some of these were catch and runs. Some of them were Tannehill pinpoint dot. But how about Traylon Burks coming out party? Seven catches on eight targets for 111 yards. And that included a negative one-yard reception where they tried to run like a a quick hitter, a play we've been begging them to run on this podcast where you just see space <laughs> on the outside and hit the receiver quickly and and let him try to make a man miss. Unfortunately, Burks didn't make the guy miss on that play. So that was a negative one-yard reception. That means his other six catches went for 112 yards. He was unbelievable, right? And I think from the very jump, that was, was it the 39, I think you said, yard reception on third down? 43. That was their first possession. 40, sorry, 43 yard completion. That was their first possession. It was first offensive possession of the game for either side. And it was a third play from scrimmage. So here it was third and seven. It felt kind of familiar, right? Okay, here we go. You're on the road at Lambeau. The last thing you want to do is start this game with a three and out. And it's about to be a three and out, right? <laughs> it wasn't a whole lot of confidence, I think, um, uh, at that point. And then what, what, what happens though? Ryan Tannehill takes the snap. Credit to the O-line, because I haven't seen that enough. A really clean pocket, time to throw, allowing that deep developing route to develop. And uh, it was a post route, I believe, Traylon Burks was running, and just a gorgeous, gorgeous ball, an even better over-the-shoulder over catch by Traylon Burks. I think it was safety Darnell Savage in coverage, right? Yeah, and Burks had to kind of track that ball because he was running out, breaking out towards the sideline, and Tannehill's ball was back towards the middle of the field away from the defender, and a great job of Burks to, to track that ball and bring it in for what, what set up. I mean, it set the tone right there for what kind of game Burks was going to have, and the Packers were doing this all night where they were like dropping safeties down low, whether it was to take o take away that that crossing route that the Titans like to run so much, the, the dig, 10-yard dig or so, or just to come load the box to stop the run. And it was effective at stopping Derrick Henry in the run game, but leaving all these guys one-on-one -on, -one on the outside, the Titans receivers haven't shown that they can necessarily beat one-on-one -on -one all the time, but they did it in this game. And I think even though Derrick Henry wasn't like super effective running the ball with high yards per carry numbers. It was his presence on the field that was sucking in that Green Bay defense and the Titans proving that they can win when you do that because it's like they always say they're daring them to throw. You dare Ryan Tannehill to beat you. Make Tannehill beat you and the Titans can't offense can't can't do it. Well, they did it in this game and I think that that is a great development for this game. Tannehill highest passer rating of the season by far 127.3 not by far but his next closest game was the 24-17 win over Indy. He only has three games with a passer rating over 100 this whole season, and this was one of them. And despite the interception he threw, which was not only a bad read, but a bad ball, it was a little underthrown. If he'd thrown that over the top of the defense, I think he had his man. His I interception think he's never was, saw him, 
right? I think he I don't think he saw the guy dropping, but even yeah. if that dropping defender hadn't been there, it was a a low underthrown ball for where the receiver was breaking, and he, the receiver had a step. I can't remember who it was. Was it Burks? I don't know who, who it was, but um, whoever it was, it was they Nick, had. I thought it was Nick Westbrook. I thought. Yeah, it might have been Nick Westbrook actually, because Burks only had one target he didn't catch. So yeah, Nick Westbrook, and uh, I think if he threw that one over the top, he had him. But I don't know what happened there. I am glad you brought up the pass protection though, because overall, Tannehill was sacked three times in this game, which is not like a great job by the offensive line but overall it felt like on most plays he had time to throw more than he's had at all this season and that was with Aaron Brewer starting at center Dylan Raiden starting at left guard so no Ben Jones who's not only a good player and a good leader he usually calls the protections he's responsible for everyone on the line knowing if this guy comes if that guy drops back who's blocking who and a really great job by the offensive line not having their their leader and their captain to protect their quarterback in this game and allow him to throw it downfield as much as as they did yeah I mean look uh uh, someone had asked me earlier in the day, who's going to start at center if it's not Ben Jones? And I had said, well, I, it's probably going to be Corey Levin. Uh, I would think it's a more you know, natural like-for-like -like replacement on the roster. And I said, but an alternative possibility, it's it's probably a little less likely, but they could kick Aaron Brewer in, you know, inside to center and, and, and put Dylan Radins at left guard. They went with what I thought was the less likely option of the two. And God, it worked to perfection, right? You saw Brian, Brian Baldinger uh, tweet out that clip of Dylan Radins, who played an outstanding game at left guard. Aaron Brewer played an outstanding game at center. I want to give a, a, a little bit of a shout out to our buddy Mike Herndon because I remember him, you know, has been saying for a couple of years now that Aaron Brewer's best position might be at center. It might be at center. Now, look, we're not going to, we can't make that determination after one career start at center. But I was always a little hesitant when Mike would say that. I think I are, I pushed back on it last time. He said, like, I don't know, you know, he's, he's been pretty good for them at left guard. He had that one errant snap that, what, like, he played center like two snaps last year and airmailed the ball over Tannehill's head. Like, we, I, I, we don't know for sure, right? So, And obviously it's still early, but right. he, he looked really, really good at center. I want to keep going here on Ryan Tannehill if it's okay. Um, I, I really thought he was outstanding in this game. Like, can't give him enough credit at all. Like, I, I think my favorite throw he made, and it's, you know, oh, you're just saying that because it's it's not as, as the other two, but the one to Burks, but uh, the one to Austin Hooper. I think it was Hooper's first catch of the game, right? That contested catch, that ball placement was unbelievable. Like, you can put that throw on, on teach tape, right, in regards to quarterback ball placement. It's unbelievable. He put it in a spot where only Hooper can come, could come down with it. And I think it was on a – was that on a third down? It might have been a, a chain mover on third down. It was an outstanding throw. Yeah, and how about his touchdown to Hooper? I mean, that was a dart oh. in the middle of a bunch of defenders and a great job by Hooper to secure the catch just enough so that it wasn't an interception almost. <laughs> but um, that was kind of a weird moment in the game. But yeah, I mean, Tannehill was just on fire in this game with the accuracy on point. His completion percentage was 81.5%. That's a season high. Is You mentioned the yards per attempt already being a season high at 12.3. It's like the highest by 2.5 yards over his next best game, which is 1.7 yards over his next best, the third highest game of the year. So this was like just an overall incredible performance from the quarterback playing on a hurt ankle. He had no rushing scrambles, no rush attempts. His only three rush attempts were three kneel downs at the end of the game. So... Um, and by the way, that kneel, those kneel downs at the end of the game was the first time the Titans have been set up with first and goal this season and not scored a touchdown. 
and it's because they kneeled out the game clock. <laughs> that's that's unbelievable, right? Look, it, it, it kind of talks to the offense hasn't been very good this year. We all know that. It's been a saving grace, really, that they have been able to convert in the red zone at, uh, I believe, what's still the best clip in the NFL. Yeah, and still will be after this game. Um, Chigaquanka was averaging 20.1 yards per catch coming into this game. He had one catch for 31 yards, so that will go up even higher now. Um, My only complaint, I mean, this game was really well done by everyone on the Titans offensive staff and and the offensive player execution uh, Vrabel said after the game, everyone who played on offense contributed, which feels accurate. You know, Dontrell Hilliard only had one catch for 14 yards, but it was the opening touchdown. Jeff Swaim had one catch for three yards, but it was like a play that set up a third and short that allowed them to keep the chains moving. Uh, I just, I'm, I really like everything that's going on. My only complaint, I wish they would give it to a Conco m- more. I mean, he had two targets in this game. The first one was the first play of the game on which he was obviously held and they didn't throw a flag. Maybe because it's like, oh, it's first play of the game. We're not going to throw a flag. You're just going to play out here. And they were letting them play all night. You know, Christian Fulton could have been flagged for one uh, at some point if they had been calling things tighter. But give a Conco the ball more. This guy is is a monster. And he, I mean... Kirk Herbstreet said it during the broadcast. He has like receiver ability when it comes to catching the ball, especially like extending away from his body and just the ball skills to make plays. So I just want to keep seeing this guy continue to improve and and become a bigger factor in this offense. Yeah, I thought it was especially interesting. Like they spent a lot of time throughout the week talking about getting him more touches, right? I think Paul Kuharski kind of pushed on that during one of the press conferences with Vrabel. And it was pretty clear they made a conscious effort, right? They, they a design touch, a target for him to open the game. That 31-yard reception in his last three games, and I don't know the best way to put this, but it was his shortest reception of the big plays he's made in the last three weeks. That goes to show you how incredible, right? I think he had a 48-yard reception in one of the games and a 41-yard reception um, in the other game, right? Denver and Kansas City. So really unbelievable. The big playability, the knack to create explosive plays is there with this guy. I can't say enough good things about this offensive passing performance. I could go on and on. One thing I think we got to touch on as well is back-to-back games with 100-yard receiver, right? With Traylon Brooks, of course, having a career day, seven uh, catches for 111 yards, follows up an appropriate performance from Nick Westbrook-Akine, right? That had 100-and-something yards against the Broncos last week and two touchdowns. So obviously that Nick Westbrook game was the first time they've had a receiver go over 100 yards. It's so great to see them have back-to-back right back-to-back receivers go over 100 yards and it being a different player right showcasing some of that hopefully some of that depth right with with Westbrook and Burks both doing it and 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 one thing that's going to get lost in the shuffle of this game I think a little bit uh in relation to this uh, performance how about Robert Woods looking like Robert Woods right I think six catches for 69 yards was so nice to see him get involved I think he had what a 30-yard reception at one point still got some juice left in the tank um don't look now but (laughs) If this passing offense can kind of keep some of this momentum going, it totally, totally changes the ceiling for this football team. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up Robert Woods because I was going to do that too. It's so funny coming like two weeks removed from a game where the Titans receivers had zero total catches as a group, which is only like the fourth time that's happened in the last 22 years, to come out in this game, 15 catches, a season high, 208 receiving yards from the, just the receiving group, another season high. I mean, this game was full of season highs, and that's what you where you want to be. You're getting to the end of November 
December and January, you want to be an improving football team. And that's what the Titans have continued to do, continue to improve, started the season 0-2 and have won seven of their last eight games. Their only loss came in overtime against the Chiefs with Malik Willis starting at quarterback. So, I mean, it's so fair to wonder if this team would be on an eight-game win streak had Ryan Tannehill not sprained his ankle a few weeks ago. And they'd be the number one seed in the AFC right, right now. If, if Good chance, and that would be the case, right? Good chance that would be the case if Tannehill played that game. Yeah, and and add to it the missed field goal by Randy Bullock that's like a very <laughs> makeable field goal for every other NFL kicker. And the Titans could have a, a one-loss season right now. I mean, ifs and buts or whatever, candies and uh, whatever the heck that expression is. Like, you know, we can't, it's <laughs> I, all... It's I, I all. Could, I could comfortably say I've never heard that before. I have I don't even have a clue what you could potentially be alluding if, to. If ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all be happy or something like that. Somebody tweet at me and tell me what the heck that expression is because what I just said is not right. Um, okay. Yeah, don't, don't, don't look it up. I just want that moment to live on the podcast. It is what it is. <laughs> um, all right. Serious talk really quick. Before we flip over to the defense, we're going to do our beef of the week and our defensive talk. But before we do that, we have to address the reports and not just reports, the confirmed facts of what happened after the Titans arrived back in Nashville, celebrating a great win and a greatly called game by the offense. Todd Downing was booked at 4.30 a.m. Central Time, I believe, something like that, for driving under the influence. There will now be an NFL investigation into whether there was alcohol on the team plane, which is a violation of NFL rules, even though Tom Brady was seen drinking beers on the plane coming back from Munich. And uh, who was the quarterback? Taylor Heineke was was, Taylor Heineke was spotted with an entire like bucket of cold beer on his team. What they said was the team plane. Seems like a thing that NFL teams just do and violate whatever this rule is and hope that they never get caught because you would hope that the coaches and players would be smart enough to, if they were, you know, a little too drunk to not drive home. I mean, it doesn't matter how drunk you are. You should never drive home. Even a little drunk is too drunk to drive home. And the NFL has a free Uber and Lyft program for players and coaches to utilize. So this is just like a completely inexcusable lapse in judgment by Todd Downing and anyone else who was there who let him drive home, which could, I mean, who kn- I don't want to accuse anything or speculate too hard, but like who knows how many players and coaches drove home from the, from the airport when this team plane landed under the influence last night, and maybe Todd Downing's the only one who got caught. Maybe Todd Downing went to a bar after they landed and got drunk on his own accord and then drove home, and it wasn't anybody else. Like We, we literally don't know, but there will be an investigation into it. Mike Rabel said it's too early to talk about any kind of potential discipline, um, but I expect the NFL will do something about this, even if it's a one-game suspension could be more severe. And it's just a shame because it's embarrassing for Todd Downing. It's embarrassing for Titans, like as a team, to have this happen to them after such a great win. It, a little bit, it hijacks and overshadows the story of them beating the Packers in Lambeau on the road on a short week. It's just a shame. And then you look at the Titans' history with players like Delaney Walker, who have done so much to like speak out against drunk driving, who his has family that were killed by drunk drivers and I don't know. I I just hate this for everyone involved, and I'm very disappointed in Todd Downing for making the decision to drive drunk. And I, let this be a lesson to anyone listening: never do it. It's never worth it. Yeah, I've got absolutely zero tolerance um, for for drunk driving. Zero tolerance. It's 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 ridiculous. It's embarrassing. Like I I have no problem if a guy wants to have a couple drinks on the plane. In all honesty, like I I'm not sure why the NFL has that rule. Maybe they don't trust their employees to make the smart decision in all honesty. Right. And maybe that's why they have that rule in all honesty. I, 
I wouldn't blame them, right, based on some of the stuff we've seen in the NFL, if, if that's their reasoning um, for having such a, a rule that I learned about today, in all honesty. I, I didn't know that was same. a thing. But, yeah, same. But um, I, I've got no issue with a guy having a couple drinks on the plane celebrating a victory as long as you're smart enough to make the wise decision. Like, it's just – it's crazy. And look, you, there, there's no excuse for it. But it, it does become even more ridiculous when you're dealing with a millionaire and that could just – jump in a cab, jump in. And as you said, they got a program for it anyway, right? Like he's not even paying for it out of pocket. You can catch a lift back to the airport, wherever your car was the next morning. Like it's, it's cra- like, like, look, I had a couple drinks last night watching the game. I did it from the comfort of my own home, right? Knew I didn't have to get in my car, not worried about it whatsoever. Right? Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, 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 it's really disappointing. Right? Like every time I see Todd Downing speak at the podium and obviously you, you can't make too many judgments from this and you shouldn't clearly, but I always find them to be so even keeled, so calm, never gets, uh, it never gets under his skin. Like they try to reporters will try to provoke him at times with how bad the offense has been under his watch, provoke him with the play calling. And I find he's always the same. Right, yeah. and you kind of re- you kind of respect that, so it's 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 so disappointing to to see that same person make this error. Right, it's it's a terrible, terrible judgment a lapse in judgment, as you said. And look, the offense has been doing bad. Maybe maybe look under stress, relief, you know, monkey off his back. I'm gonna have a couple drinks on the plane, right? Like, and I, I again, you don't blame him in that situation. We're all human. But you've got to just make the decision to hop in a the free lift. Like it's it's wild to me, man. It's so wild. I, I have no tolerance for it. Like this stuff always hits close to home for me. I'm, I'm an emotional person in general. Here in, in in you know where I am in Toronto, there have been a couple terrible drunk driving debts over the last couple of years, where uh, you know entire families were wiped out and for me those hit so close to home we've had some high profile ones here and and it always makes me so unbelievably angry so i have zero tolerance for it it's so disappointing yeah it's just a relief that nobody was injured or killed in this incident todd downing didn't crash he wasn't it wasn't one of those deals where like they, he crashed his car and then got caught it was he got pulled over so at, at least everyone was safe that's the only good thing you can take out of this and maybe it'll be a lesson to other people around the, the country around the league our listeners, Titans fans, anyone who follows the NFL, a reminder that it's never worth it. It's never okay to drive drunk. All right, we will try to transition out of this topic now back to fun things, which is not the easiest thing to do, but we are podcasters. We can do it. And I think a good way to get into some more fun things is to talk about our beef of the week presented by the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden, where you can go and you can have a drink and not drive home from the pharmacy if you do, because you're going to be a safe, smart, responsible citizen. Let's get into our beef of the week. Justin, what have you got for us? I've got something super unique for our listeners here as I try to, again, transition to something a bit more lighthearted. Beef of the week is with my damn self this week because <laughs> for for the last four weeks I think in counting I'm not, like I'm not a big gambler not by any stretch of the imagination a little wager here and there have some fun for the last four weeks I've been putting two dollars on two different things so four dollars in total two dollars on Dontrell Hilliard to score the first touchdown of the game. Not just the first Titans touchdown, the first touchdown of the game. And Jeff Swaim to score the first touchdown of the game. Call me crazy. Titans love those play actions. They target, you know, those tight ends in the red zone. 
$2 or bet where I place my wagers on Dontrell Hilliard pays out 50 bucks. $2 on Jeff Swain pays out, I think, 85 Like, something crazy. Like, like they don't think Jeff Swain is capable of scoring a touchdown, essentially. <laughs> I've been placing both of those wagers for four weeks straight. I had company over yesterday, a buddy of mine who's a Titans fan. By the way. I converted him to a Titans fan when we met about 15 years ago. So now he's a Titans fan. Came over to watch the game with me. Good friend of mine. By the way, I probably shouldn't say this. I, I hope we're not going to lose our sponsor, but... Uh, I, about, I had Chick-fil-A for the fir- for the second time in my life yesterday because Chick-fil-A just opened a few minutes wow. down, the, down the road from me. So I had Chick-fil-A. So we came over. We enjoyed some Chick-fil-A for just the, the first time in his life, I think the second time in my life. We're placing our wagers as we experience this amazing explosion of flavor in our mouths. That, that is Chick-fil-A. We're placing our wagers 15 minutes before the game. And I talked him in to betting on Dontrell Hilliard to be the first touchdown scorer. Because he was looking at it. I'm like, I think, man, like, I always put it on Hilliard. Like, you should think about this. Like, he's their third down back. He's got three receiving touchdowns already this season. So him being a cheap bastard, he put a dollar on Hilliard to score the first touchdown of the game. And me being an idiot said, oh, I'm just going to go with Swaim this time. I'm just going to put one. Because I had a a, a five-leg... I had a five-leg parlay going on the Titans because uh, they, I don't know, they updated where I placed my wagers. They updated their T's and C's where, I don't know if this is a normal thing, but before you couldn't place like parlays on the same game. Like you couldn't pick mm. like multiple things to happen in the same game. So they just updated it where they allow it. So I had some fun with that for the first time. So I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not really focused on the end, the first touchdown bet this time. I'm going to put two bucks on Swain and forget about Hilliard. Beef of the week with this guy right here because that would have been a fifty dollar payout if Hilliard, uh, if I had just done what I had been doing for the last several weeks. I was so happy for my buddy. He was so happy for winning the you know silly twenty six dollars on a dollar bet. Couldn't <laughs> believe I abandoned the Dontrell Hilliard bet. So no. mad at myself. Yeah, that is a great beef of the week. I don't even want to steal your thunder by by presenting my own. I think we should just leave it at that. <laughs> Wow, Justin. Well, next week you can bet on it again and and probably lose every week again for the rest of the year because yes. how many Dontrell Hilliard first <laughs> touchdowns are we going to have? I think he has been the first touchdown scorer twice now, though, because he did it the other game that he scored a touchdown. The, the Giants. The Giants. He, had, yeah. the, the, he scored two touchdowns against the Giants. He was yeah. the first. And I'm pretty sure on that play, maybe I'm crazy, but I feel Swain was on the field, and he. I'm pretty sure he ran a route. And I feel like I, I could be misremembering this part, but I feel like Tannehill looked in his direction first and my heart like skipped a beat. I'm like, oh, and then he, I, again, I could be making it up, but then he looked off the read and he went to Hilliard and he hit Hilliard. And when I saw Hilliard go into the end zone, I had like a half second where I didn't even believe it. I'm like, oh my God, it was Hilliard. What an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So that is a tough break for you, my friend, but at least you were on it and you helped your friend out. So you should feel a little bit of pride in, in the fact that you were right about that, even though you don't get the money out of it. Um, okay. Let's talk about the defense really quick. This episode's starting to run a bit long here. Defense. Now we said this going into this game, cause we know what we're talking about on this podcast. And that's why people tune into the music city audible that Aaron Rodgers is a tough quarterback to get a QB hit on. Why? Because he throws the ball away. So dang fast. Not just throws it away, but gets it out of his hands so fast. Like as soon as the snap's in his hands, he throws the ball. So there's hardly any time for a pass rush to ever get home. But 
While the Titans only had one sack on the night, and it was Jeffrey Simmons doing some cleanup work while all of Aaron Rodgers' receivers were pulling uh, Titans receivers against Kansas City at the end of that game when Malik Willis was looking for someone to throw to, and everyone was just running with their backs turned to the quarterback as far as they could. It was like a a Madden play gone wrong where everyone's just running, and uh, nobody ever turns around to come back to the ball. That was the only sack the Titans were able to get in this game. But when Aaron Rodgers was under pressure, he was one of seven passing for three yards and most of those seven passes were like him just dirting it immediately one of them was intentional grounding so while the titans weren't able necessarily to get the sacks that they've been getting they they had six straight games of three plus sacks coming into this game and they had so many pressures and qb hits over the last two weeks they ended up with only seven pressures or eight pressures in this game um but the, uh, the fact that Rodgers was so bad under pressure is a big reason because most of those came on third third or fourth down when the Packers needed to convert or late in the game when they were trying to put drives together to try to like make this still a game in the fourth quarter when it was 10 points for the entire duration of the fourth quarter because nobody scored in the fourth quarter except for the Titans uh, touchdown to Austin Hooper, which was their first fourth quarter touchdown of the season, by the way. But for the majority of the fourth quarter, 10-point game, and Packers cannot get anything going it was because the the pressure on Rodgers forced him into some of these just like give up plays where it felt like he didn't care, wasn't trying anymore, and um, the defense came up big. And I said before the game, whoever stops the run better likely wins this game. Well, the Titans were able to hold A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones to a combined 53 yards on 18 carries. That's 2.9 yards per carry. Derrick Henry, 28 attempts for 87 yards, 3.1 yards per carry. The Titans were the better team at stopping the run. Mike Vrabel said in his press conference that they were the tougher, more physical team in this game. And on a short week, in the cold, that's how you that's how you come out as a successful team. So credit to both sides of the ball. Titans play complimentary football. They have a good game. They played well on special teams too, even though they missed an extra point. Stonehouse booting the ball well. They're covering punts with force and ferocity and knocking guys over. Just an all-around great game for this Titans team, but especially shouting out to the defense, who I know the Packers have not been good on offense at all this year, but it's still Aaron Rodgers back there, and they still did what they needed to do to get this win. I thought the defense was incredible. It's been incredible all year long, right? I I, I wrote about it a little bit for the the Draft Network um, on Friday. They haven't allowed twenty more than twenty two points per game since since that Buffalo debacle, right? Twenty two points. Sorry, they haven't allowed twenty two points in a single game is obviously what I mean since the Buffalo debacle, and even that I think was week three against the Raiders, right? When the Raiders scored twenty two points, they've held opponents to ten points on three occasions this year. Wow. Right? It was Denver last week, uh, Houston, um, uh, of course, in that Malik Willis game, and then Indianapolis, right? In one of the wins against the Colts, so ten points three times. The Chiefs only scored twenty despite playing five quarters, right, against a backup quarterback. And they ran like 100 offensive plays, the Chiefs, right? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, they're, they're seventh in the league right now. The Titans are 18.5 points per game. And that number is still negatively skewed by the Buffalo game, right, where they allowed 41. Right. So I feel yeah. that number might even trend downward still. And I feel very comfortable predicting they will be better than where they are right now in terms of around the league. They're seventh right now. They finished top five, I think, easy, right? They got three yes. guys with five and a half sacks or more. Dina Kowatcher's got right. seven. Jeffrey Simmons has six and a half. Rashad Weaver has five and a half. Number one rush defense in the NFL, 82.2 rushing yards per contest. They're allowing number one, right? You look at the net yards, Green, uh, Green Broncos had 65 last week, right? Um, the Chiefs had 77. How many of those were Patrick Mahomes at the end of the game, just making something happen with his legs off script? 
look, that you know that that's so so rarely going to happen, right? So, yeah, <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. It really is. Un- Green Bay had fifty six. By the way, I forgot to throw that in there. They had fifty six net yep. rushing yards in this game. So, this defense is it's a Super Bowl caliber defense. That's the only way. And, I can put and- it. As the season goes on, you expect they're only going to get healthier. Jeffrey Simmons' ankle will continue to get better. He was obviously not quite himself last night, even though he still had an impact on the game. You get the long week now to heal up. Amani Hooker should be coming back at some point. Bud Dupree should be coming back at some point. Um, Elijah Molden should be coming back at some point. And an injury we haven't discussed that happened in the game on Thursday night was Danico Autry. We don't really know the extent. It's a knee injury. Mike Vrabel said that they do expect him to miss some time. We'll see if he ends up on injured reserve. If he avoids the dreaded IR list, that means that he likely will miss less than four games. If he goes on injured reserve, you're probably looking at a a return late in the season to gear him up for the playoffs, which sucks because this guy was having a Pro Bowl caliber season. We were going to campaign to get him into the Pro Bowl. So I really hope that this injury ends up being less severe than we, than we think it might be with Mike Vrabel saying he's ex- expected to miss some time. Hopefully some time is the Bengals game or or just some practice. We don't know yet where this is going, but uh, that is the the one bummer that came out of last night's game besides you know Todd Downing's uh, inexcusable decision was Danico Autry's injury. Yeah, a couple of things here. First of all, when I saw him go down, uh, I'm sure most of our listeners, Titans fans, noticed there were a couple of Titans players that were like went to their knees and started praying around him, and that's usually the sign of a season-ending horrific injury. So my heart immediately jumped into my throat. I was like, "Oh, oh dear God!" Right? They cannot afford to lose Dina Kowatri. Luckily, you know, Paul Kuharski quickly reported at the end of the game that it's not season-ending, so that was a relief. And then you saw him, you saw him walk off on his own power. And then when I saw the replay of the injury. He kind of got rolled up on a little, but it looks like the end result wasn't as bad as it could have been, right? The guy didn't finish landing on top of his knee. You didn't see it kind of buckle the way you sometimes see knees buckle when it's a horrific injury. I'm really hoping he avoids IR. Um, Missing him for four games would suck. I have hope he's going to avoid IR. You got a mini buy now, 10 days off before the Bengals game, so... Ruling him out for four games, it'd be a lot of time off, right? So I'm hoping they can avoid that, and hopefully this mini-buy helps with that. I agree that I don't expect him to play against the Bengals. I think you can still have a pretty good pass rush against the Bengals without him, especially if Bud Dupree returns for that game, which I anticipate he will, especially with 10 days off. You're starting Bud Dupree and Rashad Weaver in that game probably. You have Mario Edwards Jr. and Demarcus Walker coming in behind him. And I don't know what happened to Ola Daney, but if if he is at one point ready to come off IR potentially, um, you could add him back to this 53-man roster and have another rotational rusher. So... Um, I, and, and not to mention this Bengals O-line isn't very good, right? Joe Burrow's right. taking a ton of sacks. We'll get into this more next week with the preview, but he's taking a lot of sacks. They're not great in pass pro. So I think you can still form a, a formidable pass rush uh, against them without Dina Coatry, but I'm ultimately holding out hope that he avoids a stint on IR. Yeah, same. Um, that's, that's the best case scenario. I think Mike Vrabel did say it's not season ending. And he also said Nico usually gets back sooner than later when it comes to recovering from injuries. So hopefully he said, uh, quote, Nico usually finds a way to get back sooner rather than later. Yeah. Before we move on from the Autry discussion, I'll tell a very short story that uh, I think summarizes the type of person Dina Coatry is. Um, in the summer, I was speaking to um, his agent. And I had made a request for an interview with him in the off season 
so I could, um, you know, run something special for our readers on, on, on broadwaysportsmedia.com. And I made the request and I know Dina goes, uh, you know, agent fairly well. And I, I, I thought it was going to get approved. And um, he started chuckling and he said, <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to do that. You're not going to get nothing out of him anyway. And I said, and I said, well, I mean, it doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to be the most talkative guy in the world. He's interested in telling his story. And he said, ah, Dinico is not going to do it. He's an old school cat. He just wants to play football and go chill somewhere. <laughs> if, 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 I, number one, I appreciated the honesty. Dinico is not going to do it. He just wants to play football and go chill. He's, he, I quote, he said, he's an old school cat. He doesn't want to say shit, essentially, is what he said. And I was like, <laughs> And I was like, you know what? That kind of embodies the way he plays, right? He just cares about football. He's a dog. He's nasty. He's tough. He's physical. Dinico doesn't want to talk. I'm not going to force him. It's all good. I moved on to the next request. <laughs> no, wow. Yeah, that, I think that encapsulates the kind of player he is and how he just wants to get back on the field. So I think we will see him hopefully relatively soon. There's one more thing I want to talk about in this game before we get out of here. And it's just that this is this was not a typical Titans win because a typical Titans win is ugly. It's gross. They get outgained. The other team has 100, 100 or more more yards than the Titans do. They have better time of possession. This game was basically complete domination. When we talk about this with the Houston game where it was like uh, a bigger blowout than the score said it was in terms of who dominated on the field, I think this game was similar to that. Titans had that 18-play drive where they were stopped on fourth down and came up with no points and got the ball back still before. That was like four minutes left in the half. They get stopped with no uh, – they get stopped on fourth down. And they still managed to get the ball back and score before halftime, which was impressive. But – they truly dominated this game. The time of possession numbers, the the yardage, they outgained Green Bay 408 yards to 271. This was just like possibly a breakthrough game for this team where they finally played true complementary football on both sides. And, you know, the offense and the defense did their part here. It wasn't one team, one side of the ball picking up the other slack like we've seen basically the defense have to do all season long. So you hope this is something they can build off of heading into a big AFC matchup that will probably come back to determine the seeding of this conference by the end of the year with tiebreakers and stuff against the Bengals. And we'll be back to preview it later this week. Anything else you want to say about this game? Any last shout outs you want to give um, before we wrap up this episode? No, I think one thing we might have missed in all the statistical facts we gave was it was a season high 27 points for the Titans. I, I don't remember right. us mentioning that. So it was so nice to see them inch closer to 30 points. Hopefully they can string this together. I, I said what I had to say about it. If they have this sort of passing offense, it changes the ceiling for them. We don't know yet, right? It's a little early, but two weeks in a row because it was sneaky good against Denver. Both the Packers and the Broncos, as of right now, by the way, both rank in the top four of passing yards allowed per contest. And that for the Packers, that's after the Titans just hung, you know, 335 on them or whatever it was. So really impressive back-to-back showings by this passing offense. If they can keep this up, it does change the ceiling for them. I've said on here a lot that I don't think this team is capable of winning the Super Bowl. I'm not changing my tune quite yet, but if the passing offense looks like this, they are capable of doing something really special in January and February. It, I'm, I still am shrugging because the receivers got to continue. Like My good friend Joe Marino at the Draft Network always says, humility is always one week away in the NFL. That's, that's yeah. one of his famous sayings he always says on our meetings. And 
I remember the Kansas City game where it was the worst offensive performance by receivers of all time, right? Where like literally they didn't complete a pass to a wide receiver. I know that was Malik Willis under center, but the point is, you know, and we've seen this pass protection be pretty terrible at times against the Washington Commanders, a couple of other teams. So the pass pros got to keep up. The receivers got to keep playing the way they did. Obviously, having Burks is huge. They didn't have him in that Kansas City game. They hadn't have him against Houston when Malik Willis started that game. Kyle Phillips is eligible to come off IR now, by the way. This was the fourth game he's missed on IR, so we don't know if he'll be activated, but it didn't seem like his injury was so overly serious that they weren't going to be able to get him back. So, And okay. you think Racy McMath may potentially be getting back into this thing at some point. So uh, there may be more re- reinforcements on the way. You love what you saw. They've got to keep it going from a pass protection standpoint and from a, a separation standpoint. Very well said. I totally agree. And my last thing, my last shout outs I'm going to give here are to two guys on defense, David Long and Christian Fulton. Christian Fulton continues to play excellent football, great coverage down the field, but also early in this game, he, he like ran through a block on a potential screen attempt by the Packers and blew up the play. David Long had three tackles for loss in this game, just always active and shooting his gaps so well. And then how about Trey Avery stepping in to play a bit because Christian Fulton did not finish this game, uh, which is another thing to track over the next week and a half here. But Trey Avery came in and played in place of Christian Fulton and held his own. I mean, he did pretty well. He had two pass breakups. He had a tackle for loss himself. That For a guy who's undrafted free agent rookie, that's not, you know, necessarily like what you expect to see because they kind of went at him a little bit when he first came in the game. And I, I was impressed with the way he played. So shout out to him as well. Uh, good job by this Titans team. Next man up mentality never seems to fail. All right. That's it for this podcast. We kept you here a little longer than a typical recap because the Titans were just so good. It was so fun to watch them dominate in this game. We will be back next week to preview Titans-Bengals. But because of this weird schedule this week with a Thursday night game and this recap coming on a Friday, we don't have a recap uh, next week. We don't have a recap on Monday. So we'll probably drop our preview episode a little earlier than usual, not on Thursday, but only one episode next week to preview the Bengals. And uh, we'll say happy Thanksgiving then, I think, because that will come out before the Thanksgiving holiday. But that's it for us here. Thank you to the Pharmacy Burger Parlor and Beer Garden. Again, make sure you check them out this weekend when you don't have a Titans game to worry about. You can go get yourself a great burger, a great brat, a great beer from that place. Don't drive and don't drink and drive. Everyone should know that by now. Do not drink and drive. So special reminder to everyone about that. Follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. And make sure you head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com and become a Broadway insider today. Yeah, become a Broadway Insider today. It's $6.99 a month. You can use the code INSIDER to get your first month for just $0.99 or use the code ANNUAL uh, for a total of $49.99 for your first year. Lots of great uh, benefits to becoming a Broadway Insider. We've got the Mike Herndon Show uh, behind the paywall. That's a weekly video show going out every week with your favorite Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. That's obviously a big perk to becoming a Broadway Insider. You get early access to some of the podcasts, uh, a lot of written content behind that paywall. Whether that written content comes from me, it comes from Zach at uh, F words pod Uh, it's coming from easton there's a lot of content coming your way if you're a broadway insider become an insider today you won't regret it and also check out all the podcasts and other content that broadway sports media is putting out there okay that will do it we'll be back next week until then you guys stay safe out there and tighten up a broadway sports media production